Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. President Trump asked Georgia's Secretary of State Saturday to, quote, find votes he baselessly claimed were cast for him in November. We'll look at whether the president could face criminal liability for solicitation of fraud and what it all means for tomorrow's Senate runoff elections in Georgia. Then, a recent UCSF study finds that while lockdowns have curtailed deaths in many populations, for blacks, Latinos, and those without high school degrees, deaths per capita have continued to rise. We'll talk about that and what can be done all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Donald Trump on Saturday pressured Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find enough votes to reverse his November election loss in Georgia. That's according to an audio recording that was obtained by the Washington Post. You would be respected, if really respected, if this thing could be straightened out before the election. You have a big election coming up on Tuesday. Well, we're going to talk now about this latest Trump scandal and one day before the special election in Georgia that will decide control of the U.S. Senate. Later, we'll discuss Representative Nancy Pelosi's re-election as House Secretary, uh, House Speaker, excuse me, yesterday. And joining us is Jessica Levinson, professor of Loyola Law School and host of Passing Judgment podcast. And Professor Levinson, welcome back to Forum. Good to have you with us. Happy New Year. Good to be here. Well, Happy New Year to you. And I guess the place to begin with you is the legal side of this. Uh, the president threatening, cajoling, begging, uh, I mean, going through all kinds of uh, flailing in terms of suggesting that there were all kinds of things that went wrong that were really baseless as charges. In fact, uh, we should mention here that Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, is not only a Republican, he was a Trump supporter, donated to Trump's campaign, and uh, nevertheless assured the president that there were three recounts and there was certification. And what I think we're talking about here legally, aren't we, is the possibility of um, uh, election tampering and threats and things of that nature? I mean, could charges be brought against the president of the United States? They could. And I absolutely did not envision that I would be saying something like that, even given all that we've seen. But what we're looking at based on this phone call is potential federal criminal exposure and state criminal exposure. The reason I say that is because, of course, after the phone call came out, there was a lot of discussion of, well, maybe President Trump will try and pardon himself, the first president in history to try and pardon himself. 
pardons only extend from the president to federal crimes. So I think that's why it's important when we kind of set the table on this to remember that there are potential uh, Georgia state criminal violations. But yes, if we're looking at federal law, it is a crime to knowingly and willfully attempt to deprive or defraud the residents of any state, including Georgia, by either obtaining, casting, or tabulating votes that the person knows to be materially false. That's going to be the key here. Did the president know that these votes were materially false? Well, what was your reaction when you first heard the tape? I mean, uh, Carl Bernstein, for example, says this is worse than Watergate. We think about tapes, we think of Watergate. My reaction, honestly, was that I was stunned that I was still stunned, that this does seem to me to be more specific, more concrete, more egregious than what President Trump was impeached for, than a lot of what we saw with respect to President Nixon. And the only, as I see it, the only defense here really is whether or not President Trump, and I know this is going to sound like a partisan statement, and it really isn't one, whether he's so divorced from reality, the reality that state court judges, federal judges, judges appointed by Republicans, judges appointed by Democrats have all said with a unanimous voice, there is no voter fraud here. Whether he's so divorced from that reality that he believes that there are, in fact, legal votes to, quote unquote, be found. That, as far as I can see, would be the legal defense here. And that's a scary place to say that the president of the United States, that his legal defense to violating a federal law would be that he's simply so detached from reality that he doesn't know that this is materially false. Let me bring James Taylor into this discussion. James Taylor is professor of political science, University of San Francisco, and has a forthcoming book called People's Temple, Jim Jones and California Black Politics. Professor Taylor, good to have you back on Forum. Welcome to the program. Great to be back on Forum, Michael. I guess the place I'd like to begin with you is the political fallout of this. I mean, the Republican Party is now divided and you've got 10 former secretaries of defense, including five Republicans who have come out and said that the election has been won by President-elect Biden and it should be given up by President Trump. But as Professor Levinson just said, he doesn't seem to want to give it up by any long stretch. And you have to ask about the political fallout of this, but also political fallout with respect not only to the Republican Party, but with respect to what's going on in Georgia tomorrow. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Michael. I think this is uh, a real problem for Georgia Republicans. Um, they're involved in a civil war and infighting amongst themselves with Kelly Loeffler and Purdue asking the Secretary of State to resign along with Donald Trump. Um, you've had um, Gomer, uh, Rudy uh, Gobert uh, suing uh, Mike Pence in the state, right, for actions. Um, we've had a number of... Uh, different sort of friendly fire events between Republicans. You have the Democrats have their own problem ideologically too, but that doesn't play out in, in Georgia as much. What we're seeing right now is a bunch of confusion. Donald Trump's base may be not even mobilized because he's not on the ticket. So they already don't have any incentive to show up. Uh, they don't really have the animosity uh, I think, uh, towards, say, a Nancy Pelosi this time that they had in 2018, and it didn't work in 2018 in the midterm. So there's really no incentive to reward Mitch McConnell for much of what we've seen. So I think the, the political fallout is, even though uh, the polling shows that this is a t statistical tie all the way around with all four Georgia candidates, 
Um, right now, it's sort of on one ticket uh, favoring uh, the Reverend, uh, Re Reverend Warnoff. Uh, on the other hand, Purdue has a slight lead, but these are statistical ties. And Donald Trump's um, sort of throwing his comments into Georgia is definitely going to impact it. The question is, what side will vote Georgia voters uh, choose? The well, it's going to be turnout, I think, isn't it? Right. And that's one issue. But we're already seeing a record turnout. The key to this is that blacks, as much as people celebrated black voting in Georgia in November 3rd, black voting was actually down slightly in November and they were not as important a percentage of the turnout in November as they will be Tuesday. Blacks are actually going to be more important tomorrow than they were in no, on November 3rd, and they're already mobilizing more. We have to remember, 100 million people did not vote in 2016. And that, those are the people who showed up in 2020. That very element of people that did not vote before we were saying in 2016, 100 million people didn't vote. Well, they got the message this time. There was a, a plus 6 million uh, voting eligible um, population this time. Uh, and that seems to have showed up. And Donald Trump seems to be thinking that because there's a new cohort of voters, a new generation of voters have been uh, have evolved, the young voters, that somehow this is uh, evidence of cheating. But it's really the demographics have, have shifted. And real quickly, this happened to be one Bob Dornan. Bob Dornan was a lot like Donald Trump, red in the hair, loud, boisterous, hostile. Everybody remembers B1 Bob Dornan from Orange County, where he would go. He was very anti-Bill Clinton. But he didn't realize that the demographics in uh, uh, Orange County County had changed, and he had been so obsessed with Bill Clinton that the next thing you know, Loretta Sanchez, because the demographics had changed in Orange County, had changed. And that's happening to Donald Trump at the national level. The, the, the demographics of America have changed on his watch within four years, and he's confused by it in terms of thinking that this somehow is uh, the electorate uh, you know, coming out of the woodworks to cheat. Uh, well, I confess to you, I haven't heard the name uh, B-52 Bob Dornan in a long time. Uh, <laughs> you should also have to wonder in all this, just in the political mix of it, if uh, the unwillingness of Mitch McConnell and the Republicans to go along with the $2,000 as opposed to $600 it was uh, recommended by President Trump will also hurt the voting turnout or hurt those who were perhaps inclined, especially among white voters, to vote for Purdue or to vote for Leffler. We're talking, if you just joined us, about President Trump's pressuring Georgia's Secretary of State to reverse his November election loss with James Taylor, professor of political science at USF, and Jessica Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School. And if you'd like to join us, we'd like to invite you to be part of the program. If you have something you'd like to say or ask, please feel free to call us now. You can join us at our toll-free number, and the number to call is 866-733-6786. I'll repeat that for your calls. Join us toll-free at 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email us, forum at kqed.org. Here's Robert, who says, we're all so stunned by now, our wits so dulled by the constant outrages of this president that even this act does not cause all Republicans to reject him outright for many well, including the news media, it's just another day, not such a big deal. And a tweet from Michael who says, no one's bothered that the White House phone lines are being tapped. The legacy media protect each other by saying the Post obtained the recording. What about that, Jessica Levinson? I mean, there are different laws in Georgia than there are here in California. You can actually record, I think, uh, legally in Georgia without consent, can't you, as opposed to California? Right. Georgia is a one-party consent state. Now, there is a caveat in Georgia that says you can't 
tape people in a private place. But given that the president of the United States was engaging in a public activity that we know at least the chief of staff was there on the phone with him, I don't think that this can be considered a private place. And in addition to that fact, you know, you could have, and I don't think you do, but you could have a violation of Georgia's privacy laws, but that could still give rise to potential criminal exposure here. Uh, but again, this is not what we're accustomed to in California, where there have been some, you know, famous reports of um, reporters and politicos and staffers taping people where California is a two-party consent state. And a quick question, if I may, Jessica Levinson from Craig, who says, shouldn't the state of Georgia prosecute private citizen Trump for voter fraud in addition to prison time? Perhaps the fine should be equal to the total amount Trump has raised since the election based on lies, slander and false conspiracy charges, all of which should be used against Trump in a separate case for treason. Well, uh, that's a great question. There's a lot there. I mean, the short version is that in terms of the remedies, Georgia doesn't get to pick. So it's in the Georgia statute and it specifically says, you know, this shall be not more than three years. This is punished as a misdemeanor. This is punished as a felony. So it's all laid out in the Georgia statute. Now, a judge certainly has some discretion in terms of whether or not there would be um, a fine and how large that would be. But, you know, and in terms of treason, I know that people talk about that, but I don't actually think that we're meeting the legal definition here. That's not in any way should not be read to say that I think this conduct is appropriate or moral or ethical or even in the gray area of moral or ethical is to say I don't think we reach that legal boundary. Coming up on a quick break here, but I want to go back to you, Professor James Taylor, and just get your quick reaction to the fact that we have uh, Adam Schiff and Don Nadler and others in the House of Representatives who are saying that they should indeed bring criminal charges forward. In fact, they've gone to Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, to bring criminal charges against the president. And I just wonder if you want to comment quickly. Well, actually, we're going to go to a break. I'll get your comment when we come back. But I'd like to hear what you have to say about the possibility that that can go anywhere or what the likelihood is uh, of what's going on in the House of Representatives now under the leadership, once again, of Nancy Pelosi, who has been elected to her fourth term as Speaker of the House. We'll hear from James Taylor on that. We'll hear from you. Remind you that you can join us toll free and we invite you to do that. 866-733-6786 is the number to call or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about President Trump pressuring Georgia's Secretary of State to reverse his November election loss in Georgia with Jessica Levinson, professor at Loyola Law School and host of Passing Judgment podcast, and James Taylor, professor of political science at University of San Francisco. His forthcoming book, again, is People's Temple, Jim Jones and California Black Politics. Speaking about black politics, uh, Professor Taylor, I noticed that Reverend Al Sharpton said that uh, President Trump had suggested just about everything in the way of uh, tampering with the election. And the next thing we might expect from him is to mention that Martians somehow interfered. But um, I said before we went to the break, I was interested in getting your, your take on um, 
what's going on in the House. Maybe in some ways it's more significant than what's going on in the Senate. The, the general's notion is that's not going to go anywhere. I'm talking, of course, about Josh Hawley, uh, senator from Missouri, and Ted Cruz, senator from Texas, moving ahead with uh, objections to the Electoral College vote. It's unlikely to go anywhere, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are, and particularly in light of the, once again, leadership under Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Michael. And I think, uh, to a large extent, the Republicans uh, who are lining up uh, to support this idea of thwarting the election, um, several of them are, you know, 2024 uh, presidential candidates, right? So I think we have to recognize that part. Uh, others have their own interest in using the MAGA base. Uh, so what they're doing is actually, in my view, um, manipulating uh, the process by keeping the issues that are important to them, the treatment of Donald Trump alive, because as I said in the previous segment, there's really no incentive for uh, the Trump base to come out and support Mitch McConnell, um, and particularly when we've seen Donald Trump actually attack everyone, including Mitch McConnell, um, in this process. And we also, just real quickly before we forget, we have to all keep in mind in this conversation that, that Lindsey Graham just less than two weeks ago was involved in the very uh, exact behavior that the president is being accused of. So, so there's a lot of confusion in the Senate, but the House, of, of course, when it comes to impeachment, has the authority to charge. And maybe this is some sort of a symbolic charge gesture because we know Donald Trump will be out of the office in two weeks. And so it really... Uh, won't have an effect at, at least immediately, but I would defer to Professor Levinson to talk about the legal sort of uh, follow-up, um, whether or not this can follow Donald Trump out of office, because I don't see any reason why uh, Donald Trump can't be arrested this morning. Um, there's an advisory, and we saw all of that in the Robert Mueller report, but there's no law on the books that prevents the president of the United States from being arrested for the commission of a crime. Now, now, now uh, Professor Levinson might disagree with me and straighten me out on that, but my view is I don't see where in the Constitution the president of the United States, because that's a matter of federal policy. Policy is different, and policy be can be changed under Nancy Pelosi as the charger, as the chief charger, of the, as the head of the House, to prosecute Donald Trump, even if nothing comes out of this for the sake of history, um, much of what Donald Trump did on that phone call, like Ukraine, is going to be interrogated going forward. And so I think for that reason, uh, the, the House's actions symbolically, if for no other reason, are important for Americans. Well, you want to weigh in here, Jessica Levinson? Sure. So we haven't impeached a president after he's been in office or even in at the very end of uh, his lame duck session. There's nothing in the Constitution that would prevent that. One thing that people might be looking for, not just is to send a message, but the question of whether or not the impeachment would then, if there is a conviction, disqualify the president from being able to hold office again. And I think that would be the real legal implication here is to try and cut off at the pass the idea that President Trump could then run for president again in 2024 or even later. Well, he still has to worry about New York district courts uh, who are compiling all kinds of things, allegedly. I um, wonder if you could respond, Jessica Levinson, to a question from Kim Alexander, who is, of course, well known for her work with voters and uh, actually is uh, one of the leading figures in that area here in California. She says, it seems when the president says he wants to find 12,000 votes, he is specifically suggesting finding already counted votes to now deduct, not 12,000 additional votes for him to add to the count. Does this impact in any way the offense of soliciting fraud? 
Uh, so first, hi, Kim. It's great to get a question from you even this way. And the second is the question really, as I understand it, is whether or not the president knows that he's trying to either find or get rid of materially false ballots. And so if he's saying, find me 12,000 ballots, even if they've been counted, count them again, that would still fall under the federal statute. He's not, as I read it, saying here, you know, I really think there's a lot of legal votes that haven't been counted. Of course, let's remember that Georgia has certified its results, uh, that there have been challenges in Georgia, there have been recounts in Georgia. So it really does strain common sense to think that this is anything other than take 12,000 away from the Biden column or put 12,000 in the Trump column. Either way, I would argue that that would uh, at least give rise to the appearance that he's trying to pad, procure, obtain materially false ballots. Well, apropos of what Professor Taylor said a moment ago, one of our listeners, Jeff, writes, we need to prosecute. This must not stand. The amount of illegality must be addressed. We can't get let this go by way of Nixon. And uh, get into the whole question here about pardons and the like. But let me bring a caller on. And John has been waiting patiently. John, join us, please. Hello? John, yeah, go ahead, John. You're with us. Uh, yes. Um, first of all, I just want to make a comment regarding the uh, uh, Republican senators who are trying to object to certifying President-elect uh, Biden. Uh, it's a classic case uh, of leading from behind rather than instructing their constituency about what the Constitution says about these things. They're going along with this conspiracy theory to garner votes sometime in the future for themselves. And it's just uh, I. I can't think of anything in my lifetime uh, uh, that has been so uh, egregious as far as uh, playing politics. Uh, uh, secondly, what I wanted to uh, ask the professor is about impeachment. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, the Lindsey Graham did a similar thing a few weeks ago, and I was just wondering if these President Trump and and or Lindsey Graham can be held accountable, especially President Trump after he's out of office, just so that we guarantee in some way that this doesn't happen in the future. Could you, you comment on that, Professor Levinson? Sure. So uh, President Trump absolutely could. And this is a political question in a sense. But if a federal prosecutor thinks that with a straight face, there's enough to go forward and charge him, the federal prosecutor could absolutely do so, even in the face of a self-pardon. And so let's remember that a president has never tried to self-pardon. But if a president did, then we only know if that's constitutionally valid if you basically set up the following match. President Trump says, I'm pardoned for everything dealing with this phone call with um, the Georgia Secretary of State. A federal prosecutor says, I'm charging you with these crimes of election fraud. President Trump asserts the pardon as a defense. The federal prosecutor says, that's not a valid defense. Presidents don't get to self-pardon. Then we have the matchup that answers that question. And as we've been talking about before, the president could also be held liable in Georgia state court. He has no ability by pardoning himself to reach state crimes. And there could be an impeachment. Again, that's really a question as to whether or not there's the political appetite for an impeachment. 
But I do think even though it would be wrenching and divisive, there is something to be said for if we think that we care about the rule of law, then even if we have to live through prosecuting a former president, if you think there's a criminal violation, you prosecute the case. Well, the idea is to show the president is not above the law. We've got about a minute left here. James Taylor, I'd like to hear what you have to say about this as a political possibility or even feasibility. Well, it, it's, it does seem to me that um, there, there are going to be serious consequences for the, for the Republicans. Um, the question is, what will voters do? Um, they are the final arbiters. And we saw that in the 2020 election. We tried There was impeachment. Um, there was, you know, different kinds of confrontations with Donald Trump in terms of, you know, political confrontations. Um, you know, there's all these different challenges and nothing work except voting. And it seems to me that at this point, voters are gathering the data of all of the politics we're seeing right now, and they're going to make a determination. And Georgia voters are clear that they have the power to impact the outcome of, of political power in America. And so we're going to see how all of this sort of confusion around Georgia, confusion around the presidency uh, plays out with voters, because I think they're going to have uh, the final say. Right now, this might be just a media event, but it might move on to becoming a legal event if we see Letitia James or... Uh, 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 or Cyrus uh, Vance. You know, yeah. Mrs. Right, so Mr. V Vance or others yeah. move on Donald Trump. We're going to have um, to leave it there. We're going to break. Thank you, James Taylor. Thank you, Jessica Levinson. When we return... We're going to talk more about COVID. Stay tuned. That's up ahead. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.